Scripture. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. That's what preachers should always be doing. Uh, you know, I was told one time that uh, if you're preaching anything new, it's probably heretical. <laughs> we're, not supposed to, we're not supposed to come up with some new hot take on everything. Uh, we're, we're just supposed to be exposing what is there, right? And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Um, and I, I will say after, you know, the, studying for this this week and uh, actually the past couple weeks, uh, that I, if you had a nickel for every time I said this, this is one of my favorite scriptures, right? Uh, a new favorite of mine. Uh, you probably all rich people if, if you heard that. Uh, or not heard that. You do hear that. So if I paid you every time, I'd be poor and you'd be rich. No. Uh, <laughs> um, but this is such an awesome scripture. And I was going to preach on verses 1 and 2 in John, First uh, John chapter 2. But I'm like, oh, both of these need their own sermon. Uh, These are both really big uh, subjects here. Uh, But what we're going to be talking about today is our advocate. Uh, Jesus is our advocate. Uh, That's such an important thing to understand. Uh, Let's go ahead and read 1 John 2, 1. It says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. How awesome is that? Uh, Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer before we continue on. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you so much, Lord, that that even when I do sin, that you are there arguing on my behalf. I I, I thank you so much for that because I need it, Lord. I I pray, Lord, that uh, as we talk about this scripture today, that uh, you just keep our hearts and our minds open to what you have to teach us. Uh, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is such an important verse here uh, because it really shows how, just how much Christ is opposed to the devil. Uh, there's, there's such a contrast between the two. And it reminds us that what we're always, we're, we're sinners, right? We are going to keep sinning. Uh, that's just a fact of life. Uh, but we have an advocate with the Father. That Jesus is there arguing on our behalf, right? That's, that's such an awesome thing. And so the first thing that we need to look at this morning in this verse uh, is do not sin, right? So first of all, do not sin. Uh, that is a command in the Bible, to not sin. Uh, we need to understand that. And so first, uh, the first thing that John says here is, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. That's the first half of that verse. So he, first of all, doesn't want, he's telling you not to sin. Uh, We'll see that repeated throughout the Bible. But there's a reality with that. The reality is, is that we are sinners. And so how do we, how do we balance the two? We're told not to sin, but we are sinners. The reality here is written in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Right? This is even after we're saved, we're still not righteous. Right? We put on the righteousness of Christ, but we ourselves still have a flesh uh, nature. We still have a sin nature to us. We're still going to sin. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. And so, how do, we, how do we balance that? We're told not to sin, but we're sinners. We have to understand that 
we have sinned in the past. Before we were saved, we, we sinned, and we will continue to sin. Pretty much all of us probably today have sinned already. We need to understand that. We have sinned, and we will continue to sin because it is in our nature, right? Until we have our glorified bodies and everything, that's, that's when we'll stop, right? Uh, when we go to heaven, that's when we'll stop. While we're in our lives here, we're going to continue to sin. We need to understand that. There are people today that say, uh, after they're saved, oh, I don't sin anymore. I don't sin anymore. They're liars, okay? They're liars or they are horribly mistaken. Uh, that, that's just a reality. We still sin in this life. We cannot claim otherwise. You know, we get to this verse here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, but remember when we were going through chapter 1, what John talked about just before this. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, uh, we went through this before. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so John says all of that, but then immediately after he says, I write these things that you may not sin. Right? So you're a sinner. You have sinned. You can't claim otherwise, but don't sin. Right? That's still a command in the Bible. So this is definitely a command here. We need to realize that. Just because we understand that we have a sin nature doesn't mean that we should, shouldn't even try not to sin. Right? We still have a goal here, and that goal is to be like Christ. So the command, do not sin, we, we see this also in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Or if, if you have the older King James, it says, God forbid, right? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And so when you're saved, right, uh, a lot of people think, you know, I, I've actually heard people talk about this. Well, what's, what's the, if there's no consequences, if we have security of the believer, right, why, why should I not just go back to my life of sin? Well, because that's just spitting on what Christ did for you, right? We need to understand that the reason why we don't sin, the reason why we don't want to sin is because of the magnitude of what Jesus did for us. We need to understand that, and the gratitude that we have for that should drive us to not sin. Jesus tells us to not sin. 
Now, if any of you have ever had any handmade carpentry, right, you know that there's imperfections in it. And that's part of what makes it beautiful, right? Uh, that handmade carpentry. Now, say the carpenter goes, sets out to make a chair, right? Every carpenter that wants to make a chair, he wants to make the perfect chair. The end result is always flawed, right? What if that carpenter understood that that chair was going to be flawed and didn't even try to make it perfect? What would you think about the quality of that chair, right? If they're not even attempting to make it perfect, how bad is it going to be? So our goal is to be like Christ. We need to be trying to push, uh, pushing ourselves to be more and more like Christ. Sure, the end result of that uh, in our lives here is still imperfection. But if we don't even try to be like Christ, are we really honoring anyone? No. And so the reality is, is that we are sinners, but we also have this command not to sin. And so we need to be trying to not sin. That's what John is writing here. Is, I write these things to you that you may not sin, right? He's telling us how great Jesus is. And because of that, we should try not to sin in our lives. We try with everything we have to be perfect like him. We also need to understand that we are flawed and we need to confess that when we do fail. And the awesome thing about this, though, is that when we do fail, Jesus, remember, commands us to be perfect, commands us to be holy like he is. But when we do fail, we have an advocate with the Father. How beautiful is that? And so let's read verse 1 again in 1 John chapter 2. It says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, right? We have an advocate with the Father. Now, I want to take a break from that for a moment to talk about the devil, the, the accuser, right? The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. What does that mean? Well, first of all, when we're talking about the devil, what does the devil desire for us? He wants to destroy and devour you. The devil wants nothing good for you. I've heard many people uh, that are not saved that think that, you know, that, that they can party and everything and, and that hell's going to be a big party, right? Uh, you know, you hear the, the rock stars and stuff saying that. Hell's not a party, right? The devil wants nothing good for you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to devour you. That needs to be understood. John chapter 10, verses, uh, sorry, verse 10, just the first part here. It says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. So the difference between kill and destroy there, kill means obviously just kill. But to destroy, it literally means to like pound into dust. To destroy you utterly. That's what he wants from you or for you. Now Why? Why does, why does the devil want that? Because he hates God. Okay? And God loves us. And so what does the devil want to do? He wants to destroy us. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
wants to eat you up. I always, that's what Brother Knox always said with that verse. He'll, he'll eat you up, right? That's exactly what he wants. He wants to pick you off. He wants to take you out, right? If you're not saved, he wants you to go to hell. He, want, he wants you to suffer. If you are saved, he wants to damage your testimony so much that you can't tell anyone about Jesus. That's what the devil wants for us. What does, he, what, what does he do in order to get that? Well, he wants to tempt and deceive you. The devil wants to tempt and deceive you. So first of all, he wants you to suffer. And so how does he want you to suffer? Well, he tempts you to sin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in, be in vain. So the, the devil there is called the tempter, right? And he wants to tempt us, right? So our temptation to sin comes from the devil, right? And so he wants us to do bad things. Revelation 12, 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So the devil is the tempter and the deceiver, right? He lies to you. He makes you think that these things that are sinful, yeah, they, they, they please your flesh. He makes you think that they're good for you. But he wants to destroy you. And so he will use the things that please your flesh to destroy you. Why is this so important? Because the devil is also the accuser, right? Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So what is the devil doing here? So he hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to devour you. So he tempts you to sin. And then when you do sin, he's, he's standing before God saying, See, God, look at how horrible they are. Look at how horrible they are. So he wants you to sit. He's like, come on, do this bad thing. Do this thing that you know is against God. And as soon as you do it, look how bad you are. Look at how terrible you're doing. He also is that voice in your head that, that brings that guilt when you do something wrong. Now, I'm not talking about conviction, right? But the, the guilt that just wants you to give up. You see, when you sin and you... you Go against God, right? The devil is now saying, see, why did you even try? Why did you even try to please God? You should just stay down in the dumps. That's what the devil wants from us. And he wants to stand before God and say, see, God, the, that creation that you had that was so beautiful, look at how terrible they are. Look how terrible they are. That's what the devil wants. Now, Look at this opposed or, or contrasted with Jesus, our advocate, right? So what does Jesus want for us? What does Jesus want for us? Well, he wants to save you, right? So the devil wants to destroy you, 
but Jesus wants to save you. John chapter 10, verse 10 through 11 says, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Was Jesus' response to this? I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So the devil wants to destroy you and devour you. But Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to give you life, and not only that, but life more abundantly. Life upon life, right? And he wants that for you so much that he gave his own life for yours. That's what Jesus wants for you. And what does Jesus want from us, right? Well, Jesus wants us to be holy, right? He commands us to not sin. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, it says, But he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And so we're sinners. We're going to sin. Jesus gave his life because we're sinners for us so that we could have life and then commands us to be holy because he is holy. See, if that's not enough to want to uh, live a good Christian life, be holy, what is enough for you, right? Here's what the awesome thing about this, because we know we're, we're going to fail in this. But Jesus is our advocate. The same one that came and died for our sins is that when we continue to sin, he's there standing before God, or the Father, arguing on our behalf. How awesome is that? He is our, or our advocate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 again. It says, My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. Don't sin. And if anyone sins, so don't sin, but if, if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, if this is a big court case, right? You have God the Father standing there. The devil is saying, see, God, how bad they are. See how bad they are? See how much of a sinner they are? Jesus is saying, but they accepted me as their Savior. I got, uh, the, the, it's on me, right? That's what Jesus, Jesus stands there and argues for us. Not only that, but See, he is the whole reason why we get to go to heaven. See, the reality is, is it doesn't matter what we have done in life because it's not based off of our righteousness that we go to heaven. It's based off of his. He anchors us in heaven. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. It says, this is a beautiful verse here. If you ever want a memory verse, you should memorize these right here. It says, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, that might sound kind of confusing there, but basically think about it like this, right? Think about the law, first of all, right? Now, if you think about the law, right, 
And every part of that law was a link of a chain that connects us to heaven, connects us to the Father, right? And if you break one part of that law, that chain is broken. So your chain connecting you to God is broken, okay? Now Jesus came, Son of God, holy and righteous, lived a perfect life. He has a chain that connects him to God, and his can't be broken, right? And so what Jesus did by dying on the cross for all of us, he walks over us with our broken chain when we're saved, and he says, here, hold on to this. That can't be broken. And so we're, ours is broken and shattered because we're, just, we're sinners and we can't help it. But Jesus connects us to heaven. It anchors us in heaven. Uh, with this word here, this word for forerunner, what a forerunner was, was a little, a little boat, basically, that when there was a storm, uh, the bigger ship would send out this little boat because they couldn't get all the way to the shore. And so they would send out this little boat with the anchor and it would send that to the shore. And that little boat would take that anchor to the shore and anchor it to the shore. Why is that important? Well, when the storm was going, no matter how much that ship was tossed about, that anchor held on the shore. And so what Jesus did for us, he, an he anchors us to heaven. So no matter how much we get tossed about on this earth, Jesus anchors us in heaven. So talking about him as our advocate, he's the one that's holding the chain for us. So nothing that we do can ever separate us from God, ever separate us from heaven. That's why him being our advocate is so awesome. It's because not only that, he took the penalty, he's arguing on our behalf, he's doing everything for us. All we have to do is place our trust in Him. And so, this last big point, I want to I kind of recap this this morning. Look at the accuser versus the advocate, right? What does the accuser want to do to you? He wants to destroy you. He wants to devour you. What does Jesus want for you? He wants to give you life. And He loves you so much that He gave His own life for yours. He wants to save you. What does the accuser want you to do? Well, he, he tempts you to sin. He wants you to sin, right? He wants you to do things against God. What does the advocate want you to do? Well, the advocate's telling you, don't do that, right? Be holy. Don't sin. What happens once you do sin? What does the accuser do? Well, he's standing there before God saying, look at how terrible they are. He's in your head. He's saying, look at how terrible you've become. You should just give up. What does Jesus do when you sin? He's standing before God saying, I got them. I got them. It's, it's my righteousness, not theirs. They place their trust in me, and I am not letting go of that chain. How beautiful is that? The same person that commands us to be holy is the one that argues on our behalf when we aren't. And the one that commands us to sin is the, also, is the one that is telling us how horrible we are when we do. You see the difference between those two. So which one do you want to place your trust in? 
You want to be like those rock stars in the world today thinking hell's going to be a party and you want to give in to every lust of the flesh? That want, he, he wants you to do that? He wants to destroy you? Or do you want to place your trust in Jesus who commands you to be holy, who wants to give you life and life more abundantly? And then when you inevitably do sin, he is still there. He's still got you and he's still arguing on your behalf. I don't know about you, but I'm putting my trust in Jesus, right? So if you're not saved this morning as the pianist and song leader come, would you do just that? Would you place your trust in the advocate? Next week, we're going to talk about the propitiation, right? That's a big Bible word, and we're going to break that down next week. But simply, it means that Jesus is enough, right? Jesus is the complete fulfillment. Uh, he took your... your sin all upon himself. Jesus is enough for you to be saved, right? And so what that means is all you have to do is place your trust in him and then you're good. You're good. Repent and believe in Jesus. That's all you have to do this morning. And you have an advocate with the Father. The sad thing is it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the whole world. And so the reality is, is that the pe all of the people that are in hell, the sad thing about that is, is if they would have just accepted Jesus, their sins were already paid for. They didn't have to go to hell. Jesus paid for the sins of the entire world on the cross. So all the people that are in hell, it's because they rejected Christ. Don't do that. I pray that you would accept Jesus because it's that easy. He already paid the price for you. All you have to do is say, yeah, I, I, I'll take that. If you were at a murder trial, right? If you were being per prosecuted for murder, you were found guilty, and now you're at your sentencing, right? And the judge says to you, well, you did all of this. You're definitely guilty of it. But this other person decided to pay the price for you. Wouldn't you accept that? It would be crazy not to, because it's already paid for. And so you're going to decide to die anyway? No. Turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because he already paid that price. Don't reject him. Say yes. That's all you have to do is say, yes, Lord, I accept that. So pray and repent and believe. Do that and you will be saved.